It's Tuesday. Hello, guys. Looking nice, Brent and Sharp. Welcome back. You weren't supposed to be here. What the hell are you still doing here? Well, come on. I can't miss another Tuesday, especially because <laughs> you're wearing your robe. Yeah, well, I had to it's be quite comfortable. Wes is looking good right there. Although, sorry, Wes, Brent kicked you out of your spot. You know, he just came I in know. here early. Between Brent and Levi, I mean, I'm just sitting <laughs> on the floor at this point. Yeah, space <laughs> is a premium, you know, in a recording studio. It's just how it goes. We have uh, just started the stream up on a Tuesday, just kind of hanging out when we normally be doing the Unplugged program. And uh, the mumble room is trickling in. So if you'd like to join us in the Mumble Room, come on in. And uh, the IRC Room is also open at irc.geekshed.net, pound Jupiter Broadcasting, or go to bit.ly slash Chat. We had some good blues playing earlier, but then Brent wrecked the whole thing because somebody gave him access to the mixer. Jeez. <laughs> that's my bad. Yeah. yeah I also was... told him about FreeBSD, and we've seen how that's gone. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> you know, I was... Uh, I was talking to my uh, co-host Mike yesterday on Coda Radio, and I was saying, hey, you know, I noticed something weird's going on at Blizzard. They just fired like 40 people this morning. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there, you know? And then this morning I wake up, and there's news that Microsoft plans to acquire Blizzard for $68.7 billion in cash. That's at $95 a share. It's going to go down in uh, financial quarter 2023. And, of course, the stock's up 25% on Activision's side. Um, and Microsoft is uh, kind of pitching this as, what this, with this acquisition, Microsoft is going to give the gift of Blizzard games to, quote, everyone across every device. So Microsoft is going to give you the gift of more Blizzard games if you pay for their streaming service. This is another uh, company that they've, they've kind of scooped up. I think that feels yeah. like a pretty smart idea, though. They're kind of buying a bunch of reputation, aren't they? Boy, I mean, some of the biggest games in my life, StarCraft, Diablo, those were Blizzard games. Um, I'm kind of interested in how the, um, yeah, definitely, but I'm kind of interested in how the, like, the reputations align, because, I mean, I don't think Activision Blizzard was anyone's current favorite in terms of, I mean, employee treatment, uh, just their behavior over the past couple of years, and then, of course, we know that many have mixed feelings about Microsoft already. Yeah, but you're right. Activision sort of dirtied the waters a little bit when they came yeah. in. Hmm. Right. It says here that uh, through the great teams and great technology, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard will empower players to enjoy the most immersive franchises like Halo and Warcraft. Um, the CEO's out. So even though this is going to remain as a brand, the CEO is out. The people they fired seem to have been involved in perhaps some sexual harassment issues in the company. And so the question becomes, why were they not dealt with sooner? And it seems pretty obvious that as this deal went down, they're like, these people have to be dealt with before they're Microsoft employees. Deal with your stuff. And then the CEO tweets, yeah, I'm not going to stay on, but I will be totally an advisor, which is code for I'm going to fade away. But they give me because, you know, it's like it's part of the deal. Because they still want to have everyone to walk away from this deal with, with you know, uh, a smile and, and, and have safe face, they allow him to claim he's an advisor. But they're not going to take any advice from him. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. Um, do you see a lot of Microsoft games on the Steam store? I don't. I don't go out looking for them, but I have looked for um, Age of Empires. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I guess I don't feel like this is a net good for Linux users. Because it's subscription only? 
Well, it's going to be the access to it. I think think? ultimately it's about pushing. Ultimately, it's about Xboxes. I I would totally say so. Yeah. Yeah. It's about Xboxes. It's about Xboxes. It's about Xbox streaming service. And it's, you know, not intentionally, but it will have the net effect of also continuing to cement DirectX's dominance as Microsoft owns more of these shops. Like, do we know? We should look this up. They're probably seeing some of the movement and trying to hold on dearly to it. That's what I would imagine this motivation is. So uh, this isn't the first time somebody's uh, <laughs> uh, Google very quickly completes gaming companies Microsoft owns when you search for that. <laughs> Not good. Oh, it looks like PC Gamer has an uh, updated ongoing page that, uh, oh my God, really? So they own ZeniMax, which owns id Software, where Doom comes from. Oh, uh, right. They have Bethesda Studios. They have more studios than I've ever even seen the names of here. Uh, this list is massive, actually. So I'll name it by games that people might recognize. Uh, they, own the fran- they own the companies behind these games. Wolfenstein, Ghostwire, uh, Fallout 3, 4, and Fallout 76. Um, let's see, Elder Scrolls Online, Halo, we know, of course, Psychonauts, Broken Age, Wasteland, Bard's Tale. Minecraft, uh, South Park, The Stick of Truth. <laughs> okay, that's weird. Obviously, Gears of War, uh, Frozen Motorsports, State of Decay, and like I just mentioned, Age of Empires. And that's actually not even everything on the list. Those are just games I've heard of before. <laughs> There's other ones on this list I haven't heard of, but Microsoft also owns. Uh, those are, they're like the Disney of game franchises. But I- I'm not a gaming expert by any means, but those all sound like pretty old titles to me. Like Wolfenstein, obviously. Yeah, but they sell. Those all sell. There seems to be a fair amount of, um, I don't know if you should call it sentimentality or not, but yeah, right? Like some of these franchises have a lot of mindshare. And I mean, I can't speak for gamers really because I am a casual gamer at best. But yeah, some of these titles, you know, like there's just a lot of emotional response to them. The other thing that strikes me is if these aren't on Steam, they're pretty much a non-starter for the deck unless people put Windows on there. And you know, when we, we kind of, yeah. We kind of joke around about what happens if people buy a deck and put Windows on it. But when you look at the games that are really popular, I, I think only, only I don't know, but I, I think only a small percentage of them or at least a, not a complete chunk of them are on Steam anymore. Like they're on either the Microsoft Store or the Epic Store or some, or, you know, Blizzard has their own thing. They're all on these independent platforms, sort of like we're, we're seeing happen with uh, streaming services. We're seeing it, the same thing happen with these game stores. It's the same exact. Although, and are you now saying that Steam is cable? <laughs> Steam's like the ultimate cable bundle, uh-huh. and then these other streaming services are like the add-ons that you gotta. Everybody's tur- everything's turned into cable television, hasn't it? Gross. Maybe it already was. <laughs> All right. Well, so there you go. That's what's going on today. Microsoft became the Disney of uh, video games and now owns all of the properties. Uh, but moving on. It is, I was just commenting this to the guys before we started streaming. Um, it is freaking impossible now. It is freaking impossible now to have any kind of tech news headlines that don't have a ton of crypto stories in them, cryptocurrency stories. And so yesterday, it seems, Crypto.com, which I was just talking to Wes about, halted withdrawals on their exchange and is forcing users to sign back in and reset their two-factor authentication. Research shows that they lost 4,600 Ethereum worth about $15 million in a Uh-oh. presumed hack. Yeah, crypto.com. 
which just bought that stadium, which has Ben Affleck as a spokesperson. Uh, Crypto.com tweets, quote, we have a small number of users reporting suspicious activity on their accounts. We'll be pausing withdrawals shortly as our team is investigating. All funds are safe. <laughs> What's a small number? Do they state that there? What is a small number? A thousand? Five thousand? What's a small number? I don't know. It's probably number times uh, account balance, right? That's how that's how customer <laughs> support prioritizes it. Uh, I think that the tell in this is that they're forcing users to reset their two factor. That yeah. is interesting. Um, also, it appears that some people did lose funds, but Crypto.com has already covered them and made them whole. Um, and I guess that's kind of the upshot to these centralized wealthy exchanges is when they do have something like this happen now. Uh, Crypto insurance. Yeah, they're basically covering it. And what's interesting is Crypto.com does have their own token called Crow. And Crow's price was completely unaffected by this news. Which, if you were to rewind the clock a year ago and you had news about an exchange hack, would the currency tank? would tank. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the whole crypto market might tank that day. So what gives? Why, why not a um, bunch? I think because we haven't seen any of these hacks that aren't pretty quickly contained and covered like the companies seem to have processes in place where they identify the issue like the day of or day around then they isolate it and then they cover everything and then they uh pay out bounties for the bug finders but is is it also suggesting that this is just regular everyday business like these hacks are just like just the way it's going to go well the banking system definitely has normalized them. Like, you know, my wife called into Bank of America and gave them the wrong address accidentally because she forgot that she had still had it at her old business address. And they locked her out of her account. And they told her she can't do phone banking anymore. She has to go into a branch now. Because fraud is so rampant that they have to do these extreme measures. I worked at a small bank and uh, 40 branches. And in our operations, quote unquote, department, where we had people who were responsible for maintaining the ATM network and helping branches with logistics and stuff. We had an entire row of cubicles. So about 13 gals that just dealt all day long, their entire workday with debit card fraud because the debit card fraud is so rampant that the banks don't even make a big deal about it. They just cover the cost because to them, they've done the math and they've identified that, if they set X amount of millions aside and they just cover the fraud costs and just let the system operate, everyone makes more money on the, on the net. But is that cheaper than, I don't know, getting better technology around debit cards? And They've, they have, they have decided it is. Yeah. Jeez. I think in part because they're so constrained by regulatory movements. So, uh, you know, anything they, anything they invest into is a massive five year I mean, I think process. I also think it sounds worse than it necessarily is. I think that's pretty common in a lot of businesses is yeah. you just make Maybe. pragmatic trade-offs, right? Like, it's kind of a benefit for us. Like, I don't really worry about it too much. I mean, yes, right. like Hadia's had a really bad experience, but by and large, I feel like, oh yeah, well you set up, you, this is a normal part of your workflow. You're accustomed to dealing with it. Even if I don't love how you deal with it, but. Yeah, I agree. I think it works until it doesn't. Like, for example, if the fraud, you know, were to exponentially grow, obviously they would have to figure out something quick and probably of which they would have addressed it. Like I, I can imagine you know, a situation where it's business as usual and that's fine. And then all of a sudden it becomes kind of a big burden. Um, and, you know, it, it seems like the right move would be to invest in something and build a system. And uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree, Wes. It's kind of the same kind of thinking, though, that leads to 
how they plan for cybersecurity attacks, where they kind of just do the math and figure out, well, with insurance, it's cheaper for us to take a breach and maybe we take a $5 million drawdown, but uh, you know, we don't have to spend 10 years investing $5 million every year for a decade to get a system that's impenetrable. We'll just spend one time $5 million and take the loss. And so they don't invest in their cybersecurity. But meanwhile, they're fine financially and it does work out for them. The insurance pays out and they get to cry cyber victim. But all of their customers' information is just once again leaked. And, you know, everybody works out. It's fine for everybody except for the customer. And it kind of feels like that's what happens with these this kind of banking system. Like everything was fine until one day my checking account got compromised and uh, they shut it down immediately because they're constantly dealing with this kind of stuff. So now they've just codified sort of this one one size fits all approach. They shut down my checking account. Well, the next day my credit card went to go clear and my credit card payment failed. So then my uh, credit card company deemed me as delinquent and insufficient funds at both of those things, which both went on my credit report, which I'm still dealing with. And I, I kind of just stop and go, well, if they just built a better system that I thought I could rely on, but it turns out I was just getting lucky if they just built a better system in the first place or switched to something superior as it came along perhaps something like that wouldn't happen. And if that happens to me, I think it's probably the question is, does scale. that exist? And I think the good banks are doing both, right? Like you have to have insurance and you have to work on your security. West Payne throwing shade on my bank, but you're probably right. Oh, I hate your bank. Specifically. Yes. It's, it's a really moment. It's really a factor of momentum, not oh, out yeah. of uh, selection. Partially because I've worked with someone who used to work in their security operations. Oh boy. I've been thinking about it. You know, I have been thinking about it. Uh, speaking of uh, maybe unbanking, how about this one? So, there's a couple crypto stories in here. Coinbase is partnered with MasterCard to let users pay with a credit card in its upcoming NFT marketplace <laughs> to solve quote, of course. pain points. Um, buying NFTs on a credit card, that sounds Boy. like the worst possible idea. The only possible upshot is that that some sucker is willing to buy the NFT at a price that outpaces your interest rate and your payments on that credit card. But that seems like, that seems like a long shot unless you could turn it around within a couple of days. I mean, you give that market three months and then nobody's going to be interested in your stupid ape. So like, could you imagine, could you imagine buying a bored ape picture on your credit card? I mean, I'm pretty bullish when it comes to a lot of crypto technologies. And I even think the concept of NFTs is going to be very useful. And we're just seeing, like the very first ideas around it, but this doesn't seem like a great idea. Is it just to try to enable simpler transactions via yeah, oh credit yeah. cards? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that's sort of it. It's like, I think if I was assuming I didn't want to spend cryptocurrency on it or I was just getting into the space, I think that credit card is how I would buy it just mm -hmm. in that that's how I buy almost everything in my life. And if it gets stolen, then the, the credit card has a little bit of insurance you can yeah. bank on. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's better than hooking up your bank details to your account. Hey, yeah. credit card, I'd really like to return this NFT. Right. Uh, <laughs> I bought it on accident. Here's how you really here's how you really leverage it. It's somehow, maybe one day there'll be like a crypto uh, currency perks credit card, <laughs> right? So like you buy it with your credit card and you get perks and points for buying the NFT. Well, like, like right now I get points for buying gas, you know? <laughs> Well, don't you have that Coinbase card that works? Sort yeah, of you like could that? use the Coinbase card and make cryptocurrency on the transaction. That's true. <laughs> or the uh, well, there's some interesting stuff like um, M1 Finance has has you get like rebates if you shop at a company and you own some of their stock. Oh, that's interesting. Huh? Yeah. What a system! 
that's a that's a definitely know your customer setup to, to get that working. <laughs> right. But wow, huh? Okay, we got one last uh, one last crypto story. These are all just taken from the tech feed headlines. We didn't go out and look for crypto stories, um, but this one's pretty shocking. I think Intel has announced plans for a low voltage, energy efficient Bitcoin mining ASIC. They're going to have a session on February twenty third to talk more about it. They call it the Bonanza Mine, an ultra low voltage, energy efficient miner. They uh, plan to go into direct competition in the Bitcoin mining ASIC space, going up against Bitmain and Microbit, and of course a lot of the Chinese manufacturers as well. And um, I guess the idea here is is make a little bit of money on this thing, you know, as especially as you really, I think the meme out there is that people are using graphics cards to mine Bitcoin, um, but the reality is nobody's been doing that for a while. It's all on these ASICs now. And so uh, this would give U.S. companies a U.S. manufacturer to pick from, which I think is a really interesting development. But did you see this coming? Like, I thought Intel was too busy throwing shade at the M1 to actually have their head above water enough to see something like this. Well, it sounds like maybe they want in the game, too, and that's just their way to get in. But it does sound like uh, maybe it also addresses the energy issue that everybody's all up in arms about. You know, if they can put some True. real smart heads together to try to address that, then yeah, they really. I think it's well, also, I think it it plays into some of their um, stuff. You know, where they're farming out more of their um, you know really next gen stuff to uh, TSMC, and so right. maybe this is some of their attempt to you know diversify the, their fat business. Yeah, uh, let's go into the mumble room. Hello, mumble room. Hey guys, how you doing? Hello, everyone. So, in, would anyone in here? buy let's say this is never going to happen but let's say intel got the price point to a thousand dollars you could get like a nuc sized device you plug it in it's lower power and it just quietly mines bitcoin at a slow rate but uh, you know interesting rate would you buy one now here's the here's the advantage of mining your own bitcoin you number one you could join a pool so you could make smaller amounts when anyone else in the pool mines so there you could, you know, it's not just an all or nothing thing. You could have a lower power Bitcoin miner that still makes a nice little steady income. Secondly, you're offering security to the network. But third, a very interesting reason to mine your own Bitcoin is, is then it really has no traceability. Because if, when you buy from an exchange, an exchange knows who you are. When you buy a Bitcoin, they know the address that you bought. When you send it out of their exchange to your wallet, they know what address you sent it to. That's all available. That's all available to anybody that needs to audit that, that has the right to audit that. But when you mine a Bitcoin, there's, there's no originating address. You are the originating spot. So it's, a, it's your own private Bitcoin. Uh, so there's a, that advantage as well. So perhaps maybe you'd want to collect a few Satoshis that are original and untraceable for whatever means. Uh, so there could be another incentive to buy yourself a cheap little miner. Would anyone do it? The thing is, Bitcoin for me, it's still a black box. Sure. But we will, we will, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. What about you, Wes? Would you buy one? We're around a thousand bucks. Thousand bucks? Hmm. You know, it, I, I could see it. I suppose it would depend on, yeah, what's the operating cost like? Oh, what's you I think you dropped off mic or something fell off there. Where'd you go? Come back. You're, we can hear you a little bit, but you just got quiet. Yeah. What's the, what's the, I think what you said is what's the run cost? Yeah. yeah, what's the run cost? What's the like time to realistically perhaps see a net return? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it does kind of sound fun. 
it is interesting. I think what would happen more is that you'd have the data centers that are being built out with, uh, you know, they'd be able to say, we're, well, we're working with U.S. companies. We're using mm-hmm. U.S. renewable energy, you know, that kind of thing. You could really see that being a branding thing. I think I would buy one if I could plug it in. And at the same rate that I listen to podcasts, I could um, invest that back into those <laughs> podcasts. So it's like a one-to-one. Wouldn't that be something? I like the way you're thinking. Okay. Um, then the last little, oh, go ahead. You, you, somebody else wants to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to say that I would uh, possibly, if it uh, was, would do like uh, altcoins. Uh, I don't know ju- about just Bitcoin itself, but I mean, I, I would I'd probably pick it up either way. I'm trying to get into crypto right now. So I, I have another question. Yeah. Um, what else could this thing be good for? Or is I mean, it so the, purpose built? That's that... the thing about ASICs. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like application specific <laughs> processors. Um, Optimus Gray in the chat room points out that if you could maybe have it pay itself off in a year, I I wonder. I don't now. All of that said, I would be shocked. It'd be stupid. It'd be really stupid for them to get into uh, low cost mining, uh, uh, with the exception of pools, because the difficulty rate is at an all time high right now. And in two years, I think it is. I don't remember, but I think it's two years from from about now the distribution rate is going to half. They call it the halving, the halving or whatever they call it. But anyways, it's going to half. So rewards are going to drop down in half. Same amount of mining work, half the amount of rewards. Um, so that's going to make the price, the operational cost to mine Bitcoin more, higher. And so you got to imagine it's going to be even less appealing to average consumers. And you're going to have more of these public companies that are, that are now Bitcoin mining companies. And the really fascinating thing that's happening there is these Bitcoin mining companies are holding their Bitcoin, A, because they think the price is going to go up, but B, because it's an equity that looks good on their balance sheet. And so it is attractive to investors to buy their stock if they're holding Bitcoins. It's like this weird proxy way for companies to get in on the Bitcoin action via the stock market without having to actually own Bitcoin. They just buy stocks in these mining companies that are holding their Bitcoin. And yeah, that's weird. Much like um, people buy stocks and people, you know, when, when gold is up, people buy gold mining stocks. Sure. Yep. And they don't have to hold the gold directly. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, 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 seems like a, it seems like a way for companies to get in on the action before they can own the pure asset directly without having to go through all the hoops that large companies right. have to And they're already through. familiar with that system, comfortable maybe. Yeah. Are we going to see a big push in the next, you know, before that drop happens to mine like crazy? I wonder. Maybe. That seems like a huge incentive. Yeah, I will bet. They better get on it. <laughs> Just about that time, China's going to realize what a mistake they made kicking all the miners out. They're going to be they're going to be kicking themselves. So Apple shipped an estimated 22% of the global smartphones in Q4 of 2021, uh, which is not bad, but it's down from 23% in Q4 of 2020. Samsung is following up. So Samsung is number two at 20%, Yaomi at 12%, and Oppo at 9%, with Vivo at 8%. And of course, uh, when we think about these percentages, we got to remember the insane number in the absolute terms. So even the, you know that 1% yeah. down difference ends up being a lot of phones. Millions of devices, I would imagine, right? I would have to think. Yeah. But it makes the iPhone the most popular smartphone during the 2021 holiday quarter, which is quite the feather in Apple's cap. Yeah. That's the thing you can, you know, tout around in your marketing PR. Yeah, I would I would imagine they'll get up there on stage at some point and fluff their feathers about it. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the last story that I thought was interesting that I want to talk to you guys about. Um, and this is, by the way, I'm skipping... I'm skipping the other crypto stories. There are more crypto stories in the general Hold news, back. but I'm just, it's enough already. Um, Variety is reporting, amongst others, that YouTube is winding down its YouTube Originals program. After six years of pouring money, I mean millions and millions and millions into this hole, they're shutting it down. They're only going to fund programs that are part of its Black Voices and YouTube Kids Funds program. Does anyone remember a YouTube original? I I I thought it was you know at first, so the first thing they did is they tried to they really screwed it up. They launched it with celebrities that were not native to the YouTube platform. Oh yeah, mistake number one. Yeah, <laughs> and everybody's like, "But I'm on YouTube to watch the YouTubers," and so it took them about two years, and then they figured out, "Oh, we'll work with the most popular YouTubers." So then you know like MKBHD and some of the others that I follow started doing these YouTube originals. But they just sucked. They just were like. Why, why did they suck? Because they, they were, um, they, they were like a low budget discovery program. Like if you remember good old discovery TV when you could learn about something. Yeah. Uh, they were like that, but worse. And, um, you know, you go to watch sometimes YouTube to see somebody that's slightly unscripted. And what you get is a very flat scripted version of a YouTuber. Because there's a committee or something that's making sure that yeah, it's all scripted. Saying. There's yeah. a whole crew there because they're spending millions on these shoots, and so it's a giant operation with an entire crew, you know, right? It, Producers, etc. Which is the opposite of what made YouTube successful, and it's just the most basic misunderstanding of their very own platform. It shows you that the people in charge have no idea what they're doing, and now they're shutting it down. And you know, they wanted it to be the big competitor. They thought they were. They actually thought they were going to have their own Netflix on their hands. They already do. Just it's different. They could have. Yeah, uh, they just won't recognize what they actually have right now. They and have maybe like try one of the most popular product. Yeah. And meanwhile, we're like, just make the platform better. And, you know, some of the things you could do is just roll back some of the changes you've made. <laughs> you can just undo stuff. <laughs> you don't even have to make new stuff. <laughs> and they can't get that right. It's Ideally, so sad. Just sell YouTube and they'll be independent again. Maybe? I mean, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be? Although, can you imagine, Wes, the the operational costs of running YouTube? <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, it has some of the best streaming um, resiliency out of any streaming service I use. Like, yeah, I can really, watch a right? YouTube video in places I can't watch any other streaming service. Well, they've been doing it, it pretty a lot much longer just than anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're both right. Yeah, it just works, and they've been doing it for a long time. They've got all these partnerships. They've got a good client that's good at adapting to different bandwidth situations. And um, I also yeah. really appreciate the shortcuts that you can use keyboard shortcuts on the oh, yeah, YouTube yeah. videos. I'm constantly shifting sort of time speeds and going back and forth 10 seconds and that kind of stuff. I am always craving on other platforms and can never get. Oh, it really feels like Microsoft's looming large. You know, looking back at over these stories we just talked about, the one that really strikes me as like this is going to have a long term impact on us is these Microsoft Game Studio purchases. And it just seems like a massive headwind against the deck. I can't, I can't help but feel some any other way about it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe most of the Microsoft games are on Steam, but the ones I've looked up aren't. And I haven't done an exhaustive check, but I think you're going to be forced to, you know, buy this deck. If you like, say, Age of Empires, which is one of my all-time favorite games. You guys ever play it? Oh, really? Oh, man. Wes, you ever play Age of Empires? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, it's been a long time now, but yeah. 
just classic. A, a classic, you know, classic. Uh, what do they call that kind of game? But you ba- you build up a society and you. It's an RTS. Yeah, it's a real time strategy exactly. And I used to I used to play Stronghold a lot. I never really played Age of Empires a lot, but I, I loved Stronghold. So it's a similar, very similar game. Okay. Yeah, well, they own that too, so. <laughs> Wait, they do? I did not know I that. I think so. I think they've got the studio that owns that, yeah. I'm not positive. I don't, keep, I don't keep extensive track of this, but every time I glance over it, their list of studios, and you know, because part of what happened is over the last decade, a lot of these gaming studios consolidated, and then Microsoft came in and bought the, the company that owns three or four companies underneath it. So that's why they have a bunch of game titles that we don't even realize, because they've, they've bought these parent companies. and. uh I I wonder if we're not going to end up in a scenario where we've got these expensive decks with these incredible AMD GPUs and these impressive feats of engineering to get the drivers inside the kernel and everything working really great and hours and hours and hours and hours of Valve engineer time trying to optimize the entire graphics pipeline and make everything as possible, get just the right screen, make sure, in fact, perhaps they even chose the Plasma desktop because of some of the limitations in terms of refresh rate on the GNOME desktop. And then everybody ends up loading up streaming services to play games on a Microsoft server. And it's just an H.264 video stream to the deck. That's a really sad scenario. And it's not going to be the only scenario, but it may end up being like. Honestly, if I were Microsoft, I'd publish the Xbox streaming service in the Steam store and just get done, get it over with and just let everybody use their thousand dollar deck or whatever it is as a streaming device. Here's the thing: if they actually did release like the uh, the Game Pass um, for the Steam Deck and or Linux, I would actually subscribe to that. Cause I, I, used I would to, too. I would too. I I used to subscribe to it back when I was on the Xbone, and when I moved to PC, I I just let it expire because I didn't really have a need for it anymore. But I would subscribe to it if they if it worked on Linux because I want more games on Linux. Yeah, the reality is if you have the internet connection for it. Streaming games is a lot like the promise of the consoles. You just turn it on and it just works every time. It's always updated. Yep. And they you know, and like with the GeForce now, they're they're they've already revved the graphics cards one revision since I've been a subscriber. So I just got an upgrade in my graphics. Uh my only issue is is until I had Starlink, I've never had service good enough at home to to use game streaming. Our buddy Alex actually before we just got on the air sent us a video. He just set up his Windows PC headless. And he set up um, the NVIDIA streaming stuff, and he's using Moonlight. Ooh, nice. Fancy. Yeah. And it looks great. It looks so good. It looks like he's running it right there on his machine. Yeah, because he's got a nice high, high-speed LAN. So it does kind of make me go, oh, it'd be cool to have like a headless Windows box, but I'm just not ready to Yeah, until you start yet. having to administer it. Yeah. Well, and what I'd really want is the ability to stream like three games or four games so, you know, me and the kids could play. And then you're really talking about a beefy box. It'd be easier just to just to do the gaming streaming service. So we'll see. I'm sure Microsoft is going to play. Maybe nice you can and just pay Alex to set up your own yeah. uh, custom, you know, hosting platform. Hey, Alex, come on over. We'll do it on. Um, we'll do it on like a Proxbox and two GPU pass through. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's uh, <laughs> Fred's like I'm down. For I'm this. smiling already, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't hear my smiling. But <laughs> I think you're down for it. I like it. I'm down for just pushing the envelope. I think. Well, there you go. There's the headlines. That's it for today. There's a lot going on today. Tuesdays, I guess. I guess, yeah. Tuesday, actually, we've noticed. Uh, there's a lot of times. That's why we moved the show. We didn't want a lot of news <laughs> to help us make the show. <laughs> <laughs> it made it too easy. Well, yeah. it does give a few days to digest the news. There's that. Come up with a good 
yeah line on it because you know your instinct really a lot of times is to just go hot on the mic with your first take but not always the best option sometimes it works out but not always the best option and i think sometime in the next decade you might learn that lesson oh this is interesting unrelated i'm sure just saw this pop up youtube's global head of original programming susan daniels is leaving in march after seven years well, the original program has been going Ooh, for eight years. Fucked. Yeah. So not wow. only are they shutting down the program, but she's out. Hmm. That wasn't in the first headline. That came out later. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I guess that, you know, in a way is actually a healthy sign. I think there's not enough corporate accountability when, when you know, a, a corporate initiative like that fails, they really should be looking at why and make corrective actions. I mean, it sucks to see someone lose their job. And then I guess I hope, I hope that they're actually doing that and not just, you know, X in this position and not questioning anything further about yeah how it went on for so long, what the incentives internally were. Financial trim. Not that I love Google, but like they own so many things that I kind of like and or use. It'd be nice to see them get their corporate house in order a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Uh, Brentley. Yes, sir. Why don't you tell us about why you're still here? Why are you still here? Weren't you supposed to be home by now? Yeah, so... Hmm. Where to start, Chris? I guess... It's tricky. I did move my flight one time. Yeah. Why did I do that again? Projects. And probably. I stole your bag so that you couldn't leave, so that didn't help. That's true, so I was supposed to fly out yesterday. But it so turns out that Washington has this um, kind of unadvertised testing, COVID testing shortage. Yeah. And not, not just like a kind of a shortage. So you got to go to the next place over like statewide shortage of COVID testing. It right. Seems. Right. To the point where like the Walgreens and the Rite Aids are picking up the phone and saying, Hey, you've reached Walgreens. We don't have any COVID tests. Can I, how can I help you? The reason that's important to me is that to get back into my own country in Canada, I need one of these before I can get on a flight. And it has to be the PCR variety. It has too. to be the PCR one, which is the one that takes a few days. It can't just be the, the the quick test was okay to get into the US, but it's not okay to leave. So it's been tricky to try to line up all the ducks in a row to try to get home, really. Um so I think Chris and Wes are conspiring and have something to do with this. <laughs> but job, I had to job one was uh, I uh, kicked out the sunroof in the uh, focus so you wouldn't have a car while you were here. So True. that way you'd be reliant upon us for all transportation. Now I get in that. Yeah. 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 That was that was me thinking ahead. Uh-huh. And I did that like a solid three weeks before you came down. And oh, yeah, the repair place just can't get the window despite the Volvo getting a new window in like a day or two. Yeah. Yeah. They, this has actually been an ongoing. We have been trying to get a new sunroof for our Ford, our Ford Focus for a freaking month and a half. And it's just nobody will get us at the sunroof. Like nobody has it. it. They just it keeps never like your tests. They don't tell you. But then it turns out when you press them. Yeah, we can't get a hold of it. Um, Could have said that in the first place. So you ended up. You ended up having to go all the way down to the airport. Yeah, Wes was kind enough to, after our Linux Unplugged episode last week, um, Sunday. I always think Sundays are last week, but that's like the first day of this week for some people, right? I don't know why I think that. So, anyways, Sunday, Wes was kind enough to let me stay at his place and try to figure all of this out. Um, But was it ever a journey? Um, The only testing place I could find and 
had yet to confirm had tests was at the airport. I figured, sure enough, they have a lab set up right at the airport. They're not going to want to run out of tests, right? Yeah, well, and people's entire, like, transportation plans hinge on these damn tests. That, that, that doesn't seem important to airlines or testing places at this point. <laughs> but, um, so Wes and I figured, after much consulting and exploring of options, that it would be best to just go there and to just assess the situation. and. Of course, they have a website, and of course, you can book an appointment, but it's all over the place. Like, there were no appointments until after my flight should have left. So I just figured, okay, well, there's no way I'm getting on this flight with the, what I require. So I had to call the airline, but the wait times are crazy, like 50 minutes. So, Wes, you can certainly... um you know how long I stayed on the phone and I got kicked off. A few oh my times God. I mean, it must've been like six hours of total hold yeah, time. It was ridiculous. And Holy crap. Yeah. The thing that was most frustrating is the last time I did this, which unfortunately was only a week ago. Um, they had this cool system that everybody should have where they would just call you back and say, Oh, okay. The wait time's going to be like an hour and a half. We'll just call you back. No problem. But that option never showed up this time. Of course. Different phone tree, different number, who knows? It's like uh, that stuff. Well, and really, the other thing that is sort of ridiculous is when we were in Denver, you had to go through the same process and there was plenty of testing available. Yeah. Denver, I could just show up at a Walgreens, do a drive through test and it was free. Yeah. But now as time has gone on, we've bungled the system up so badly that we have less test availability and they don't want to panic people. So they're not saying anything. Yeah. And the other thing is the cost. The only test I could find at the airport, which it turns out they could do a test, and I got in yesterday somehow by some miracle, is two hundred and fifty U.S. dollars. Oh, you know, basically the price of your flight home. Basically yeah. the price of my flight. Home. Wow, think about that. <laughs> so, um, I actually have COVID right now. Oh, I'm sorry, and, man. Oh, uh, it's all good. Very, very mild symptoms, so not really worried about it. But uh, I thought. You know, because I, I found out by taking one of those at-home tests because I was feeling a little bit under the weather and it came back positive. Um, but I was I thought for work I'd have to go get a PCR test, so I was looking everywhere for them, uh, trying to find one. And I can't, they're out everywhere. My The closest appointment I could find would be next Friday, or this like upcoming Friday. And I eventually called work and just was like, hey, just FYI, I have COVID. I got it from an at-home test. Or I found out from an at-home test. Um, but uh, I can't find a PCR test anywhere. They're like, oh, we actually accept the at-home tests now. I'm like, what? Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm glad about that. But I was like, that that information was never communicated to, to anyone. <laughs> of course not until until it's an absolute, right? They need to find it. Right. Yeah, it's kind of weird because for the PCR test, you know, it takes several days if you go through a lab to get these results, unless you pay $250 and it only takes 60 minutes. But, you know, <clears throat> so but what's curious about that to me is, you know, I take the test 72 hours before I'm actually flying. So what's the guarantee that I didn't pick it up in those 72 hours? So, yeah, you could get sick while somebody comes over to the studio and then you head down. I mean, I was coughing all over you. Or I, I could even get sick while I'm waiting in line to get these tests because it's these Which giant lineups. It seems very likely it's that ridiculous. you would be exposed at the airport, actually. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's the whole, They're not thinking through the whole system. Ooh. And so it seems like it might be a better idea to take several quick tests, like maybe, you know, two days before you leave, yeah. the day you leave or something like that. Yeah. And then 
And then you have more data points. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why that's not a thing. <laughs> Sounds cheaper. Well, you know, sure. this whole thing just got off, just got started. So, you know, give us a couple of years and we'll have it figured out. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> it takes time. Here, uh, you know, here would be like have the 72 hour one, right? And then maybe uh, while you're waiting in line at the airport to actually take off, they have you do the binax like the 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 rapid or the yeah uh, essentially at home test right to say hey i don't have covid right now hey you know i've been these guys have heard me say it a dozen times but i don't think i've actually said it on air but if freaking joe rogan can rapid test every podcast guest for the last year and eight months we should be able to rapid test ourselves before we get on an airplane i mean it just is so silly <laughs> Right? I think you said that on the unfilter one. Yeah, yeah, unfilter. But nobody listens to that. There, so yeah. <laughs> I could say it again. Um, so I want to get a new beverage. And then um, we were going to do an impromptu brunch on the air. But we probably uh, we probably have a couple of minutes while I refresh. So um, we, we could slip in probably one more topic. Oh, what do you think? Anything else? Any other? So, yeah, basically, you had to delay the flight. So that way you had time for the testing to clear. Which means I get to work on a few other projects this That's week. That's true. Which is really fun. So many projects. Are you, were you impressed, Wes, when you came over and saw the state of the bathroom? Holy crap, yeah. I can see why we're trying to trap Brent here, because, I mean, we can just get so much more done. I know. Imagine what I could get him to do for the RV, right? You know, one thing I discovered at Wes's place, because I had the chance to stay over, which is always a great thing. Wes, your shower is... Plumbed incorrectly. Uh oh, Wes. The hot water and the cold water is backwards. It's a ridiculous thing. Yeah, it's sure a while to that funny. Um, I grew up in a shower like that, so it's totally normal <laughs> for me. Well, I didn't, so I didn't and so even I cr- notice. I cranked it to like, oh yeah, most because cha- as you might imagine with travel, I you know most cha- I have an average you take a lot of, of showers in weird cha- places. <laughs> that's okay. That's a good way yeah, to put it. Yeah, but I, I'm like, okay, a good place to start is like the three quarter mark because it's not, generally not scalding, but if it's a little too cold, then at least you got the hot water kind of coming through. I did that at your place, and thankfully I tested the water before getting in, which I don't <laughs> usually do, and it was frigid. So I quickly sort of. Had to figure that out. I don't actually know. I should. I'll have to warn future guests. Yeah, (laughs) right. Put up and make a nice little sign, Wes. The other thing Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. you have a lovely washroom. It's got the skylight with like daylight coming in, which is my such a luxurious way to do it. But your shower curtain. There's just a man staring at me the entire time I'm in there. (laughs) What does he have as a shower curtain? Are you not used to that? (laughs) What does he have? What does he have as a shower curtain? What is it? Is it? Uh. What's the gentleman's Jeff name? Jeff Goldblum. Again? Oh, he's got he's got this hilarious Jeff Goldblum oh shower curtain. Oh my god! He, Jeff Goldblum's like there with an ape, and he's got his arm around an ape or something, <laughs> and it's just see through enough that you can also see Jeff Goldblum's, you know, mug while you're trying to take a shower. It's hilarious. <laughs> so, anyways, it ended up being a great experience. So thank yeah, here you. I'll post a link in the IRC for anyone curious. <clears throat> I mean, if you got to stare at something, right? Like, I'd rather that than boring old color. Oh, it made me smile. So there's something to that. Um. <laughs> hey, did you ever see the um, Jeff Goldblum had a show for a while? Um, and yeah, one I've episode watched a couple I watched, episodes. Yeah, I'd I like to watch more. One of them was all about shoes. And he, you know, he's got this way. But it was a fascinating exploration into the world of high-end shoes. And then I, I think that may have been the only episode I saw. But um, if if anyone's interested, I say dive right in. It was a, it was really well produced and super funny and like kind of 
quirky and awkward in the way that I think most of us in this community either are like or love or have come to appreciate. So it was really nice. It's nice when he's like, um, it's always nice to see genuine curiosity and excitement mm-hmm. about stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and he can portray that pretty well, I think. I, I completely agree with that. And yet he's okay to say when he doesn't know something, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the other part, right? The being uh, being cool enough in your own skin to be like, nope, no idea what's going on with that. My frog is out today. I tell you what, it is out and about. Uh, we have a studio frog, and he is all over the place. You know, this has been a lot of fun. We should just make this a podcast. Wouldn't this? Let's just figure out how to turn this into a podcast. <laughs>